Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. Uh, we're told to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. So our goal on this podcast is to make real life a bit more simple. And how do you do that uh, when you're trying to juggle all kinds of different things in your world? And oh, by the way, it's during a pandemic. So I happen to have uh, on our podcast today a pastor and a pastor's pastor, a guy by the name of Brian Jones, uh, who's written a lot of books and led a church for many years, and through his blog, assists a lot of leaders, especially those that are either in churches or leaders of churches. So Brian, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me on, Rusty. Appreciate it. Now, just tell everybody the brief bio on you and kind of where you are and how you got there and how long you've been at the current church you're at. Uh, pastor of Christ Church of the Valley, uh, which is in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Uh, this fall will be our 20th anniversary. So we planted that church 20 years ago. My wife and I, our three daughters, and our cat. And in the first three weeks, our cat died. So that was a drop in attendance right out of the gate, man. It was rough. Um, we uh, uh, are focused on reaching people who don't go to church. So we've seen about 2,600 people um, come to Christ so far. And uh, so we're just excited to be here in Philadelphia serving God and, and being a part of what he's doing. So did you grow up in the uh, Pennsylvania area? Oh, no. I, I'm an Ohio State fan. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. I'm a Christian. Come on. You know that. <laughs> the Buckeyes. All the Buckeyes, right. man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're like right there in Penn State country, right? Oh, I am. Yeah, I'm a missionary to, to pagans out here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I fell in love with this area when I went to graduate school. I went to graduate school at Princeton Theological Seminary. I was, early on, I felt called either to be a church planter or to be a professor. <laughs> and uh, I felt I would go to, to Princeton to uh, do a Master of Divinity degree. I was going to do a PhD at Yale. And I just, you know what, I, I helped start a church when I was in Princeton, and I was like, that's what I want to do. I'll just do the professor thing on a side. So I, um, I write a lot uh, for pastors at SeniorPastorCentral.com. I, I am very privileged to get in the trenches with, with guys like you who are at a much smaller scale, obviously, that want to um, identify what are their gifts, what are their abilities, you know, there's so much confusion about what steps should they take. And so I just come alongside them with a, with a, a few years under my belt and, and experience coaching pastors to, to really help them maximize their calling and to help them feel confident that they're doing the right things and taking the next steps. What did you get your undergrad in and where did you go for that? I went to Cincinnati Christian University and oh, okay. it was a biblical studies degree. Okay. Yeah. How about you? So you did, uh, I went to Ozark Christian College uh, okay. in Joplin, God's College. Um, <laughs> but I did some seminary work at Cincinnati Christian, huh? and, uh, you know, Jack Cottrell and those guys oh, were fantastic. Absolutely. And, absolutely. Know, he, he was a graduate of Princeton as well. How did yeah. your, and now, now I'm really digging in here. I didn't prep you for this question. Um, Princeton gets the knock for being a little bit more liberal than maybe Christian or than uh, Cincinnati Christian. How did your views or beliefs get shaped by that? And how did they change a little bit during your uh, seminary time? Well, it was funny. Jack Cottrell told me, don't go to Princeton. Don't do it. <laughs> and uh, he was like, You're gonna, it's going to be rough. And he was right, right in the middle of 
my second year at Princeton, I lost my faith. And ironically, Princeton, in terms of the, the mainline seminaries in the country, is, is considered the most conservative. And so there were a few really devout evangelical believers that were just great, but that were professors. But right in the middle of uh, my second year, I just, I lost my faith. I didn't believe in God anymore. I didn't, I didn't believe in the resurrection, so I didn't want to go to church at Easter. I didn't believe in the virgin birth, so I didn't want to go to church. Uh, during Christmas. It was just like, um, I remember recalling a professor of mine from undergraduate school, and I said, hey, listen, man, I feel like I'm out at the shore, and you would get this because you guys are on the West Coast, and I said, I feel like my feet, are, my feet are planted right in the sand, and then the water's coming over my feet, and the last, gosh, six years have been amazing, but now the water's going back out into the ocean, and you know when you're out at the ocean and the water's going back out to sea, your feet slowly start to go down and down and down in the sand. And I'm just weeping to this professor of mine who was a mentor of mine. He married Lisa and I, and I was like, and, and maybe there, there are just probably people that are listening to you right now that are going through difficult situations and their marriages, you know, you're, you're leading at real life. You are uh, serving, but man, this COVID situation has put the pressure on you. Mm. And what it does is it exposes all of the weaknesses in our lives. And so maybe you've fallen back into an addiction. Maybe you've fallen back into difficult patterns and you feel like the sand is eroding from underneath your feet. And I remember just crying out, Dr. Patterson, I don't know, Dr. Patterson, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, you know what? I've been in that same situation. I've been at the beach I've had the water go over my feet. It feels amazing. And then when it goes back out to sea, it, the sand goes away. And I just want to tell you, Brian, that when that last grain of sand is gone, you're going to be standing on a rock. And that brought me back. Hmm. That helped me rebuild my faith. I started from beginning, uh, at the very beginning. Is there something that created this? I went from that to would, if somebody created this world with people in it, uh, he would surely, just like me as a parent, would want to give information to these human beings about how to live life and to flourish. And so that got me to a revealed religion. And then I went from, I literally read the Bhagavad Gita. I read the Pearl of Great Prize. I read the, um, every single religious book in the world. And when you stack up the Bible to every single one of those religious texts, I mean, it's, they're not even in the same, the same category. And I just, after I reread scripture and I just re-embraced faith. And so nothing, I've gone through some really tough times. Nothing is, is, is going to remove that rock from our lives. So and that's where my first book, Second Guessing God, came from out of that experience. And that book has uh, really been an encouragement to people who are going through some difficult times. Well, I am so glad we went there. I hadn't planned on that, but uh, maybe that's a prompting of the Holy Spirit. But I think all of us have had those moments. And ironically, some of those come even in seminary. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think sometimes when you study it so much, you start to wonder, what is this after all? And yeah. certainly it comes through pressure. Um, you know, the moment you, I mean, your sand metaphor is just perfect because a lot of us are feeling that right now. And I think there's some goodness to that. Because what begins to happen is, is all the, uh, the, the bad beliefs that we had, yes. like God is, uh, 
God wants me to be happy. Everything happens for a reason. All those kind of things that we tend to put onto our faith, those things go away and we get down to what really, really matters. Right. Um, how long did that experience take you for you to feel like you finally hit the rock? It took me a year and a half. And, you know, St. John of the Cross, we, we use this phrase all the time, the dark night of the soul. Right. Um, and we get that from St. John of the Cross, but not a lot of people know his story. St. John of the Cross was a, was a uh, Catholic monk that was in a monastery. And because of his vibrant faith, he was imprisoned by his fellow monks. And they, they, they locked him into a bathroom. And he was there for five, six, seven months on end. Um, his, his clothes started to rot on his body. Uh, they would bring him out and they would beat him in front of his fellow monks. And, um, what people started doing that were guarding him is they started slipping him pieces of paper underneath the door and he started composing love notes to God. And in, in, um, his writings, he talks about how, when we go into the desert, when we go into the arid place where it is no longer flourishing with, uh, you know, life and that sort of thing, when you go into that desert, it, it expunges from you all of the things that you rely on and you, you suddenly now, you have a choice. Either I am going to rely upon God, not because, he w- not because of what he's going to give me, but I'm going to rely upon God simply because of his love for me, that's sufficient. It changes everything. Mm-hmm. And um, no longer, and this is what my book, Finding Favor, was all about, that, that people in the prosperity movement use, use this phrase, finding favor. Mm-hmm. And un- unfortunately, it's like they've never read the Bible. Like the people that have found favor in Scripture are people like Joseph, for instance, where Joseph goes and he's thrown into prison, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's taken away from his family. He's, he's taken away from his dad. He's taken away from his brothers. He's thrown into a prison. He's sold, and he lives in this foreign land. And like the last tiny little section of his life, that's where basically all of the good stuff happened. But that whole time, he, has, he was favored by God. Job was found God's favor. There were, and there are some times in the Bible where it talks about God gives us his favor, and it, and it does mean he meets our needs financially, or he might actually heal our bodies in some capacity. But the vast majority of instances uh, where God talks about him bestowing his favor on our lives are times where we're like, hey, you know what? If I had known what I was actually praying for, I never would have asked for your favor, right? <laughs> the obscurity, he puts us into obscurity. He puts us into situations we don't want to get out of, like Moses, where he's leading these people. I, I, these people are driving me crazy, God. You know, and it talks about how God gave him his favor. God gave him favor and said, oh, you want to quit? I'm going to give you my favor. I'm not going to let you quit. <laughs> right? And how many times have we been in ministry or maybe you're serving in an area of ministry and you're like, oh, I would love to get out of serving in this thing. And God's like, I don't want you to. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he won't let you out of that relationship or out of that serving area is a testimony to his favor. Because if you would have quit, you never would have learned the lessons and have become the person that he wanted you to become because you 
just jump ship very quickly. Hmm. Tell us a little bit more about that book. I read that book. I thought it was great. Um, as I recall, you had some Seinfeld references, so I particularly enjoyed those. Um, it's it's well written and uh, a really interesting take on this whole prosperity gospel, finding favor mentality. Uh, where'd that come from? Why did you choose to write that book? I chose to write that book where, because um, I had, when I turned 42, up until I turned 42, I remember calling the doctor one time to get some cold medicine. And he was like, you haven't been here in 10 years. Like, no, you have to come see me. And, but when I turned 42, I had over a seven-year period of time, I had five surgeries. I've had two back surgeries. I've 20 back injections. I've had two shoulder surgeries. I've had more MRIs and, and just different diagnostic tests than, than I care to remember. And um, coming from complications of playing football, I was a football player in high school um, and, and other things. And I, I was in so much pain um, I had this strange reaction. It's called occipital neuralgia, essentially, that makes pain appear in the back of my head, which is like someone had stabbed you in the back of the head with a knife. So I had that for about a year where mm -hmm. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't do anything. And multiple, multiple diagnostic things done and surgeries. And and finally, I was like, okay, God, this is, this is it. I, I am now the person that's going to live the rest of my life with such excruciating intense pain in the back of my head that it, that it's almost blinding that if I, if I'm going to, what am I going to do? And so I started going down into my basement office at four o'clock in the morning and I got down on my face before God the very first time I was like, God, I don't know why I'm here. You're not listening. I don't, please do something. And so it went from, after about 60 to 90 days, it went from pleading with him to do something to reminding me what it was like when my dad would say, hey, do you want to go to the post office, post office with me? And I would just get in the car just because I wanted to be with my dad because I love my dad. And we would talk. And, and after about 90 days or so, getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning every single morning, I just just rediscovered being with God, being, mm -hmm. being with Jesus, being in his presence. And that seems so corny. And as pastors, we talk about this all the time that, you know, we're constantly putting, spitting out these sermons and spitting out these lessons that it brought me back to just simply enjoying being able to talk to God. And then I started, I was like, how many people in scripture have gone through this where they have pain that's not going away? Like you're in a, like I have a friend on my staff whose wife has MS. That's not going away. Mm -hmm. Many people who are listening right now, they can point to some situation in their life where that's not going away. Mm -hmm. um, they're in a blended family. That's not, no one's waving a wand and changing that and, and rolling back time. You have that situation. Um, um, I mean, we could go on and on and on about different examples. But when I started studying scripture, I realized that more oftentimes than not, God allowed people to experience different things, to go through different things, and it was a form of his love and compassion and blessing that, thank God, he allowed me to go through that. Um, I have so much more patience. 
I'm a kinder person. I am, I am driven in a holy way. Um, where before that experience, I would say I would be, I was driven in an ambitious way. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I wanted to write that book to get the news out that these things that people keep praying for to go away, please, God, save me from this. Please change this. Please do this. He's already answered your prayer. He's given you that situation. And so you lean into it, like it says in Daniel, where he found favor with the person that he was being imprisoned by. And, and it goes on and on and on. It's, it's, it's a, just a fascinating scriptural content, um, mm. fascinating scriptural lesson. And I just wanted to get the word out about it. Well, mission accomplished. It's great. I, I really enjoyed the book. Um, and I've not read Second Guessing God. I love the premise behind that. Is that, help our listeners understand there, that book, is that a, just kind of a memoir of the journey you went through? Is it an apologetics book? Uh, what was your goal there with that one? My goal with that book was to um, outline, see, here's the thing, when you go through a difficult situation, the question that everybody asks is, why? Why am I going through this? Mm-hmm. The question that needs to be asked is what? What is being accomplished through this situation? Mm. Like if you're able to, to, to put on the lens to, 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 to realize, oh my goodness, what God is doing in this situation is to um, slow me down, is to make me a more gracious person. I mean, there's a whole list. And that, that's essentially what second-guessing God is all about, that when we second-guess God and we are pleading for him to change these things, what are the very specific things that he's trying to accomplish in our lives through that difficult season? And this is not just for just people who are just Christians, but this is also for pastors. Um, uh, I, I have the opportunity and the privilege to, like I said, uh, get in the trenches with a lot of pastors. And what they really struggle with is, um, do I have what it takes? Mm-hmm. I'm in this season, and do I have what it takes? Either the church is like really flourishing in terms of growth, taking off, or it's not. It doesn't matter. Everybody's asking that same exact situation, uh, same exact question. And so um, I just think that um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a pertinent topic for, for both pastors and leaders. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about pastors uh, just for a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and before we kind of get deep into that, Tell us about your podcast, 21st Century Jesus. Is that designed for pastors or for uh, church members or both? Or And how'd you come up with that idea? So 21st Century Jesus podcast is a podcast that asks the question, um, if Jesus were here, what interesting people would he want to talk to? What important conversations would he want to have? And uh, what urgent causes would he want to get behind? And so I've just always been very interested in the first century Jesus, um, um, the sociology, the archaeology, the history behind that. Like, actually, if he was here today sitting down, who would he want to talk to? And so my, my feeling is that Jesus would want to talk to, by and large, the people that wouldn't be uh, interviewed on a Christian podcast. And um, so what we do is... Um, uh, so this is a podcast for for 
for Christians, uh, for people who aren't Christians, and and some pastors will join. Um, but I have a, I've had the opportunity to interview professional athletes, and authors, and atheists, and and I just say, hey, right? For, oh, and then um, gosh, psychologists and psychiatrists. We've talked about anxiety and depression, and mm-hmm. I'll just straight out ask them. I'll just say, hey, listen, I know. Um, that you are an atheist and I'm a Christian and, and my goal here isn't try to convert you, though I would love for you to become a Christian. Um, what do you think about this issue of faith? What do you think about this question? And uh, gosh, we've talked about race uh, with Sean Palmer. We've talked about homosexuality. Hmm. Um, we, we, we just address a whole range of issues. And honestly, Rusty, like the driving thing is I would love to talk to that person. Yeah. Honestly, so I wanted to. I want. We're trying to get a a, a podcast interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson, yeah. uh, astro, astrophysicist and um, guy there in New York City. Uh, there are some actors and uh, some pastors and just different people that mm-hmm. I just feel that it would be interesting to have a conversation with them. And uh, so it's it's been fun every time we hit the record button. That's awesome. Uh, this brings me to a question I, I've been dying to talk to you about, and that is an interview you did, but it wasn't on the podcast. It was at your church yeah. with Pete Rose. Uh-huh. Now, I had the pleasure of meeting Pete Rose in a restaurant out here because I think he has a home out here as well. And uh, it, was, it was very surreal. I mean, this is oh, yeah. a baseball legend. Legend. And obviously, you're in Philadelphia, so he's larger than life. Um, but I wanted you to tell us the story of what it was like to interview him. And if I remember right, because I listened to the podcast or the episode from church, it kind of went off the rails a little bit and became a little less church friendly. You know, uh, I think all of us pastors have interviewed somebody on stage and it didn't go like it was planned. How'd you navigate that? Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> how we navigate? Well, first of all, we had three services. So, the, <laughs> final, the final product that you listened to was, was pieced together um, uh, parts that we essentially could present on a podcast. Um, P was great. Uh, uh, obviously, P was a childhood hero of mine. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, Cincinnati Reds fan. I wanted to um, I got a baseball scholarship in college. I was being recruited by some professional professional teams. And I joked with him about, I showed him a picture of me pitching. And I said, could you hit off of this guy? And, and he didn't know it was me. And then he, he realized it was me. And then he said, today. I could hit <laughs> off of this guy today. And um, um, he was... One of, he's honestly, he was one of the most gracious people that, that I've ever interviewed. Um, anybody that came up to him to talk from my, um, my wife's great aunt to little kids, he was just very, very gracious. Um, we had a, the reason we brought him in is we were doing a series called Second Chances. And I just asked the question, who would want a second chance more than anybody? And I was like, well, Pete Rose would, Mm -hmm. uh, because he was trying to get in the Hall of Fame. Um, Interviewing Pete Rose was like trying to break a bucking Bronco in the Wild West. It was, (laughs) you could pretend all you want that you were guiding that interview, but he, 
he would stand up. He would start telling stories about Tony Perez and peeing in the bathroom. And I mean, it was, it was, he got pretty profane, but I loved his heart. You know, the best question that, that I felt he answered is I just said, Hey Pete. So one of the things we have in common is that we've both had great dads that we appreciate. Mm. What, what was a lesson you learned from your father that, that has carried with you to this day? What was a profound lesson you learned from your father? And uh, he started talking about his dad and, and how his dad came home and he had a hard job, you know, and, but he came home and threw ball with him and was involved in his life, came to his games as a pro. And uh, it, w- it was just really special. And then the, the agent, his handler said afterwards no one's ever asked him a question about his dad before wow so yeah and so yeah my my connection with him led um uh my our our mutual friend vince antonucci um who was coaching at the time he was like i want to have a special day i was like you need to bring in pete rose he said no way i said trust me bring in pete rose and so pete went to his church and vince interviewed him and then afterwards uh Pete said, hey, you know what? Let's go, let's go to lunch, my treat. I just want you to tell me more about God. Wow. And um, that was a really cool thing. And so, huh. you know, I just never, ever shut the door on someone that you think is too far from God, you know? Yeah. And you, you never know. Right. You just never know. That's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, when I... When I saw him, I grew up in Kansas, so I'm a lifelong Kansas City Royals fan. And my experience with Pete Rose was his 1980 Philadelphia Phillies beat the Royals in the World Series. And I just told him I was still bitter about that, and we had a good (laughs) laugh about it. So um, I want to know, uh, especially for all of our pastors listening, and I think this applies to everybody, just the balance of time. I mean, here you, you have a podcast, you write books, you produce weekly messages for your church. You lead a staff. You're a husband and a dad. Um, and then you obviously have to take care of yourself, certainly with all of the uh, you know, physical issues you've had, probably even requires more time. How do you manage your time to be able to do all of this? Um, are, are you a person that's naturally, you know, just kind of a planner? Or was that, does that take a lot of work? And is there a certain formula you've figured out? I would say that, you know, I get asked this question and, and my goodness, I need to be asking you this question, all the things you're able to do, how, how you're able to do it. So, so whenever I'm coaching a pastor, the very first thing I do is I say, hey, listen, so there are four things I'm going to require of you. First thing I tell them is, hey, you know, anything you ever tell me, it's going to go to the grave. No one will ever hear about this. And I said, because I'm going to be talking about stuff too, because we're in the trenches together. Uh, uh, But then I say, hey, there are four things I'm going to require. Number one, you're going to go to to a dietitian, and uh, you're going to get your goal weight by the end of the year. Number two, you're going to go to a financial planner, and you're going to have a financial planner that's going to help you successfully get to the point of retirement, get out of debt, all these sorts of things. Uh, Number three, you're going to get a trainer. And whether you pay this person, you're going to, we're working out. And number four, you're going to go to the doctor. And you're going to go get a full blood workup. And, um, you know, the, the only way we're able to accomplish things is because our body will allow them to do them. So whether you're a volunteer at Real Life and you're listening to this, I would 
tell you the exact same thing. If I was coaching you, I want, I want you to get in the best shape of your life. Physically, I want you to be eating um, good food that's going to fuel you with energy. I want you not to be worrying about money. I want you to put together a plan and uh, essentially get, your, get, get all of these pieces in place. And then the second thing I do is I, I pull out the weekly schedule and I say, okay, we're going to take, as pastors, you're going to take Friday and Saturday off. You're going to take two full days off a week. And then what you're going to do is you have five days. And I said, you're going to work about 50 hours a week. And your work week is Sunday through Thursday. And I say, now what we're going to do is we're going to list what are your top three priorities, period. And your top priority, number one, is going to be the Sunday morning experience, being with people, uh, the preaching event and, and loving on people and that sort of thing. Number two is going to be, this is for senior pastors, is going to be the writing of a message. And, and I will coach them to have that done and finished by 11 o'clock on Monday. Um, and then it will be the leading of staff and some other things beyond that. And so what I encourage them to do is take out their schedule and then on Sunday, you want to be at 100% energy, mm. right? So that's your number one thing. You want to be at 100%. So the only way to be at 100% is to take two full days off a week, um, Friday and Saturday. And then the, the Monday, you're going to be 90% energy. So you're going to put your second most important task there. Your Tuesday is going to be, you're going to be at 80%. You're going to put your third most important task there. And then essentially, you're going to get all the way down to Thursday. And what what we typically do is we wing it, whatever we're trying to do. So whether you're a volunteer uh, or you're a pastor, what we typically do is we say the stuff we're really good at that is most important, we'll put it last, we'll invert it. Mm -hmm. And so essentially what I encourage pastors to do is to do that. And then I lead them through a, um, a form of minimalism where I have them get rid of every single thing in their life that doesn't fit into that. Like mm -hmm. we have so many different meetings and so many different things that we say we're going to do that I go through a process with them and we put it all up on the whiteboard. Name it all. I got to do this and I got to return this and I got to this and this and this and this. And then we go through every single part of it and we put it all over there. And so we have two categories. This is the stuff that you have to do. And this is the stuff that either someone else is going to have to do uh, or it's going to have to just get not done. And I just, most pastors have never done that before. Right. We have so many unspoken obligations and things that we want to do. Um, uh, what in time management they call open loops, things that are just driving us crazy in our heads because th we think we're going to do it. And so then essentially then I have them get rid of all electronic planners. Um, I have them get a full focus planner from Michael Hyatt or. Amen, yeah, brother. Yeah, that's Amen. Great. It's really good. And the process every single week of writing down, here are my priorities, and here's all this other stuff. Um, I chunk things. So on Fridays, I get all of the housework kind of stuff, cars, appointments, any doctor's appointments, anything that has to be done around the house, that's all on Friday. Saturday is reserved for my wife and I. Uh, we just have a red golden retriever puppy that we just got, and we love going hiking up into the mountains. So we'll go into the mountains and we'll hike. Um, and then, so when it comes to Sunday, man, like my mind is clear and I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but my mind is clear. I'm still, 
I know that I'm focusing on the most important things. And then if I could turn the, the camera around so you can see it, I'm here at my home office and I have a big whiteboard, um, a, a big glass whiteboard. And then I have um, uh, on that, I have my priorities in the middle. I have the books on the right-hand side that I'm writing. So, so my priorities are for me, Bible study and prayer first. So the second, my, my second priority is to develop a, a great sermon series. Third is a sermon. Fourth is to write a senior pastor central article. Number five is a Brian Jones article. And then number six is podcast interviews for 21st century Jesus or what I'm doing here. And then obviously as a part of that, I'm also coaching staff. I'm meeting with my two executive pastors and our whole staff and that sort of thing. But I know that every six months I'm writing a book. So I have an October 1st book release that I'm writing a book for pastors. And then April 1st, I'm writing a book for Christians. Hmm. And this, the priorities, everything that's going into, everything that I'm reading and my sermons and the articles, all of that is fodder. That is essentially, I want to uh, turn it into an opportunity to encourage and bless other people with the stuff that, you know, not everybody gets to do what we get to do. We get to read. Um, I just have this tremendous staff that allows me, affords me the opportunity to read books and study and interview people and meet with leaders and cast vision and stuff. Mm. And so I just feel that, I mean, this is why you're doing this, that mm -hmm. we have this obligation then to really pour into other people. And honestly, um, what drives me is um, back in the mid-90s, I moved to Ohio to start a church, and um, this church took off like a rocket from 90 to 90 in three years. <laughs> just, it just went crazy. I, I was, if, if, if Outreach Magazine existed, I would be on the cover of that. And you know what? Um, uh, a friend of mine um, uh, pastored a large church in uh, Centerville, Ohio, Southbrook Christian Church, Charlie McMahon. Yeah. And um, I was so discouraged that I, I met him for lunch. He said, Brian, why don't you just come to our staff meetings? I was like, that would be so weird, man. I can't do that. Like, who's the guy over there in the corner writing all this stuff down? He was like, just come. So a better part of a year, I just went to Charlie's staff meetings. Mm. And I just hung out and got my spirit back again and my excitement. And I just have always felt that if I was in a position where I could encourage and pump up these awesome pastors who are that are in smaller churches, that I'm going to do it. And yeah. so, you know, so the things that I'm able to do, it's because I love it, but I also feel a mission behind it. Like, right. so it's not really work. I love it. I'm excited about it and I'm passionate about it. And that's, and that's clear from just hearing you talk about it and from reading your stuff too. You know, I've been in the game for 26 years and reading your stuff is still fresh insight for me and so helpful. Um, man, I wish I would have had that full focus planner 26 years ago. I mean, oh, it was man. just Franklin no, Covey then, but oh, yeah. It, yeah, this is so helpful. If I had full focus planner and Four Disciplines of Execution, that book. If I oh, had God. those 26 years ago, yep. man, it would have made my life a lot easier. Um, yep. And part of that is just because I'm, I'm an INTJ, so I, I think that way. I'm a six on the Enneagram. Yep. I, I love You're a six on the, I'm an INTJ and a five wing four. Oh, okay. Oh, so you get a little drama in your life. That's good. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, but it's uh, Brian, this has been so helpful, and we didn't even get to half the questions I wanted to ask you, so we're just going to have to have you back on again, if that would be all right. No problem. Um, this is so great. So tell people where to find you. Well, first of all, it's, it's what a privilege it is to to encourage and to cheer on the, the leaders that you have there in real life. And so just thank you for the privilege of being on. So uh, when I write for pastors and for church leaders, it's at seniorpastorcentral.com. And when it is for podcasting and sermons and articles, it's at brianjones.com. Okay. Yep. Well, Brian, thank you so much. And uh, next week, we'll be back with uh, brand new content. So thank you for listening. And as always, if this is helpful for you, share it with a friend and pass it along. And we will talk to you next time. Let's share.